Three, two, one, let's go! <laughs> Hello and welcome to Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. As always, or at least most of the time, I am Danielle, and with me, well not with me, but joining me, is Melanie. Hello. How are you, Melanie? I'm good. I'm, I'm good, good. I'm sleepy. <laughs> I've had this giant cup of tea, and it's not quite there yet. Soon it'll work. That is a giant cup of tea. I have a large coffee, but it's not as large as that. Mm-hmm. This thing is the size of my head. It sure is. I think it's supposed to be for, like, I don't know, ice soup? cream sundaes or something. Yeah, soup. Probably soup. <laughs> but it's my giant cup of tea. Chai tea. You just banged your teeth with it. Ow. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have recommended that, but you did it anyway. Uh, You know, I'm sleepy. I'm not going to be held responsible for my actions. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any updates this week, Melanie? None on my end. Nothing that I can think of in particular. No, there's no housekeeping. No one's really been getting in contact with us. We're sad. Yeah, it's alright. <laughs> like, there's a void of communicate- communication between you and I. Not you and I, Melanie, but you, listener, listener. and us, speaker. <laughs> Please email us. It's it's a slow start to the year. I have a feeling uh, it'll it'll pick up, but uh, yeah, it's definitely a slow start. So no no word from anybody. I guess we could probably be as offensive as we want right now, and uh, no fuckers listening. <laughs> but I'm I mean, having fun anyway. You're so downloading, fuck. but are you listening? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Hey, if you just listen, just give us a thumbs up on something. I don't know. Yeah, just let us know that you exist. <laughs> it's lonely over here on the other side of these microphones. Yeah, yeah, just like an uh-huh, uh-huh, every once in a while validates this, a conversation. <laughs> just nod. <laughs> just, just something. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> what about, uh, do you have a thing? Or a purse? Um... Basically, I mean, it's tax season, so I'm looking forward to a fairly delicious little tax refund. So I'm excited about that. Um, I did a spell uh, on the last full moon. I did a spell and my son uh, joined in with me and uh, we did a spell to help him harness his sort of manic energy, uh, just putting it into a jar of dirt. Um, and hopefully that that will help. And then we did a money spell, and even Tim helped me with the money spell, which is unheard of. He's never done anything like that before. Can't hurt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's kind of what he was thinking. I was doing it with my son, and I could just see Tim kind of holding out his hands like, yeah, yeah, man, whatever you're doing, please bring money into this house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I mean, the, the, literally no harm can from, come, come from from just hoping that a spell will work if you, you know, so. Absolutely. That little bit of hope is just enough belief for, um, you know, nice things. Well, and I mean, a lot of the way the, the spells are supposed to kind of work is by doing a spell, 
it sort of rejigs the way that you think so that you yourself are putting yourself in a better position to bring in whatever it is that you're doing that spell about. It's not about like just making it magically come to you. It's sort of re realigning yourself down the right path to do, do that thing, to get it, that thing. I've, I've learned what that's called in like mindfulness speak. It's called oh. your intention. Oh yes. Yes. It is aligning yourself with your intention more. Your yeah. intention. So that's the difference between an intention and a like, what is it, like a motto or a mantra or whatever, but like an intention is like, no, you call it an intention instead of a goal because a goal can be missed, yeah. but an intention can only be intended. That's what you intend to do. Absolutely. So anyway. Um, <laughs> I can hear that wind now. I actually yeah. can. It's um so anyone listening I'm listening in the UK at the moment and we're having a series of storms at the moment so we had Storm Clara and now we're up to Storm Dennis and I think there's another one afterwards pretty horrendous weather very very windy very very windy I hope everybody's okay around uh there has been some trees pulled down and a lot of chaos here and there but um despite all of that um, I've managed to walk 57,000 steps this week, which nice. is the equivalent of 27 miles. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Considering half of the days I couldn't go out, um, sorry, not half of the days I couldn't go out, but each day, half of that day, I couldn't leave the house because the weather was so bad. So what yeah. we would do, we would wait until there was like a break in the storm and then go for a walk and come back. And I have gone out every day, no matter what to go for a walk that's awesome man that's awesome i've probably walked like 600 steps in the last week (laughs) you walk more than you think because that includes my just like wandering around the house it's 50 steps to the toilet and back from from my from my living room i counted last night (laughs) (laughs) are you taking tiny steps or long strides just normal steps just normal steps it's 50 50 steps for a toilet break it's so that i can add it on to my phone stats because i found that my thing i wear around my what my wrist is really inaccurate yeah so my one on my phone is pretty accurate but i don't take my phone everywhere with me so i'm like guesstimating how much i do without the phone in my hand yeah and so I just thought, well, I wonder how much a toilet break is from the living room. <laughs> 50 steps. <Nice. laughs> I don't have a purge, though, other than the storm can suck my ass. Yeah. So is it rain or is it like just wind? Well, <laughs> the rain's just started now. Uh, it is coming in combination with torrential rain, but mostly wind. Uh, the wind has been, I mean, it. I mean, it's like tornado out there at the moment. That's why you can hear it growling. So people hearing um, on their headphones will really hear that growl in the background. I do apologize, but that is the uh, sexy growl of Storm Dennis. Good old Dennis. (laughs) Anybody cannot be sexy is somebody with the name Dennis. (laughs) Oh, Dennis, you're so hot. Talk dirty to me, Dennis. (laughs) Growl at me, Dennis. And he's like, oh, oh, um, 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 ooh. <laughs> Dennis is not the kind of man who can talk dirty. 
Yeah, Dennis is the one that has like a nice clean sweater vest. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a Dotson. Oh, also named Dennis. <laughs> Dennis Jr. Yeah. Because it's little cause Dennis. Because he, he thinks it's clever. Yeah. If there's a Dennis have... listening right now, I'm super sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sure you're one of the cool Dennises. <laughs> I'm sure you're the hot Dennis. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, <laughs> <sighs> uh, no, yeah, no, I don't have a purge, so mine's just a thing. Celebrating achievements. Fuck yeah. Yay, and mine's a thing with, with the happiness, with the money and the spells and bonding with my family in a magical way. Nice. Yeah. All right. Shall we take a deep breath? Yes, please. Celebrate this greatness. Invite more greatness in and breathe out any sort of hesitation that we have in proceeding with greatness forward. Yes. All of that. One, two, I love this because every time we're done with the breath, you just have this sort of like blase look on your face. <laughs> like, yeah, I just breathed. It was really dramatic. What it is is that my breaths sound like breaths, but you make sex noise. <laughs> you do. So I'm always sitting here like slightly uncomfortable, but totally fine. <laughs> I didn't realize it was so, uh, uh, I didn't realize I made you uncomfortable. I'm sorry. It's only because I edit it later and I get to hear oh. it. <laughs> I get to hear it, like, just without you, like, without any, you know what I mean? Just, like, yeah. out of context kind of thing. And it's like, Melanie really enjoys breaths. I really do. Oh, here it comes. Here comes Dennis. I'm sorry. I'm going to be really distracted by this storm. <laughs> storm has literally just rolled in so i hope i don't lose the internet it sounded like dennis just dropped a back of a bag of skittles or something oh yeah oh man dennis <laughs> he's upset because we've been insulting him i'm sorry dennis he's you're gonna... a very handsome striking man yeah he's, please he's take it easy on my danielle <laughs> oh i'm just glad i'm inside anyway Thank you right. for the uh, the breath, Melanie. Because <laughs> we better crack on. Um, <laughs> or we could just talk about Dennis for an hour. Yeah, 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 there's always that. But this, this I don't know, our topic, I feel, is a little bit more interesting. I think so. I think so. And maybe the um, ambience of the storm will add to it. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pull, pull so, yourself up to a nice warm fire. Listen, while Dennis gives us some ambient sound to our, our <laughs> tales, the tales ahead. Thanks, Dennis, for your Thanks, ambient Dennis. sound. <laughs> Good on you, Dennis. <laughs> Good on you. Oh, man. Okay. This week's topic is uh, Native American folklore, which is a really, really broad subject um, yes. and can be taken in a million different directions but we've found something to focus on and we think it's pretty good so first we're going to do a little bit of like little definitions for you so you just so you can get your head about what we're going to be talking about um and that's uh melanie's got some little shit like you know that things yes i've got words yes words words those are what i was looking for (laughs) 
So in looking into Native American folklore, I realized pretty quickly that I was going to have to make a distinction between folklore and mythology. While any aspect of Chippewa, Zuni, or Sioux mythologies could fall into the folklore category, not all folklore could be put into the mythology category. Mainly because mythologies sort of deal directly with gods and deities, whereas folklore can also be more um, human legends or uh, more earthbound stories mm -hmm. like with with animals not necessarily the deities themselves mythology is more like you know zeus banging somebody and being a dick that's that's falls into the mythology pan pantheon not so much the folklore or legend pantheon but heracles would technically fall under legends and and not mythology it's 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 a tricky distinction and i and because the topic is so huge i wanted to narrow it down so we're not talking for five hours straight going from one tribe to the next Mm. So I could tell you this beautiful uh, legend about the Iroquois, Iroquois creation of the earth, and I do want to, um, but that does fall under more mythology. So I thought we'd stick specifically closer to folklore, and I do want to also eventually maybe throw different uh, tribal mythologies and tribal folklore into our categories so that we can devote more time and energy to giving them the respect that they deserve. So there are more than 570 federally recognized tribes in the United States. <laughs> How can I possibly do justice to all of them when every tribe has a distinct history, mythology, and set of beautiful stories? Long story short, I simply can't. So here I am with a plan for the future, but no actual idea of where to start. So in order to fulfill the requirement for this episode, uh, feeling like Without feeling like I've done terribly by the Lakota Sioux, Navajo, Iroquois, and many other tribes, we'll just tell some stories. That's my plan today. Okay. Um, side note, and this was a little tricky one, because pretty much every tale I could find were written by white men shortly after a tribe had been displaced. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these stories were collected in like the early 1900s or the late 1800s. And yeah, it was basically just white guys going into these these you know, mingling with the tribes and collecting stories. And a lot of the times they don't give them up too terribly easily. Yeah, uh, this has worried me. This is a concern of mine that we've discussed briefly before <clears throat> we started recording, which was that we want to be respectful and we want to be uh, not perpetuating that white supremacy bullshit. And so if we are outward like outrageously offensive or if you know we say something that you could very politely correct us that would be really nice we are also very aware that we are not the voices for the people whose yes. stories we are telling here we are simply a podcast dedicated to talking about really interesting things and sharing really like fun stories and and the folklore of native people in america is beautiful and fun and interesting to us yeah. we don't mean any disrespect but if you're disrespected let us know because we are allies and we believe in your cause and we think that what has happened to you in the past is wrong and that should not continue to happen into the future yeah and if part of that is you're sick of hearing white people talk about your shit tell us and um, we'll apologize and we'll stop and we totally understand yeah you know we completely understand we're we're just story gobblers we love we love stories we love history archaeology everything about any kind of people and their journey on this great big rock 
So, yeah, like Danielle said, we mean absolutely no disrespect. All of this is coming from a place of love. It was also kind of tricky trying to figure out the distinction, the, the right terminology to use, because, again, we don't want to be offensive. What we hear more often than anything is probably the term Native American. But I know that there's also the preference for um, indigenous people or uh, first people or first natives. Um, and then there's a lot of people who prefer to be just known as their tribe with their tribal affili affiliation and not necessarily as anything other than that, which I get. So for the most part, I'm going to try and stick to just the, the tribes, the groups. And again, really, really, really trying not to be offensive. I yeah. love you guys so much. I love all people. <laughs> Genuinely. We know it's a complex topic and we know that people are still trying to work it out. And so we're just going to do our best to navigate this landscape of um, just as respectfully as we possibly can. I interchange the word group with tribe as I feel it's appropriate in my sort of spiel. Um, wherever possible, I've used particular tribe names. So we might as well get into it. Yeah. Um, we've kind of done our little, what would you call that? Um, prologue, yeah, <laughs> preamps, you know, preamble, preamble, yeah. So, but just be aware that if you are somebody who who knows better than I or Mel, <laughs> just tell us, and we'd be happy to happy to make any corrections, and we'd be happy to even apologize and and stop. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And you could even walk up to me and slap me in the face. I, I'll take it. I mean. I don't want to be slapped in the face, but if it has to come to that, then sure. Because oh, I I'm, take, you know, I'll gladly take a slap in the face. Yeah, well, I'm British, so there's a lot <laughs> of shit people Just want to slap me. It's <laughs> a lot of people. Anyway, so my bit does actually weave through mythology as well as folklore, but I I am kind of more doing a general overview of belief systems. So I get away with it because I've gone um, sort of anthropological in my approach today because I thought that I'd give some context to some of the folklore that Melanie is going to delight us with later because I always love a bit of context because I'm an archaeology student. Context, context, context. Context is sexy. It's so hot. Anyway, I'm referring to Native American tribes under the umbrella of hunter-gatherers for the moment nice. okay so i'm gonna go i am pretty anthropological in this respect so hunter-gatherers are basically groups who have varying levels of mobility sometimes they move around the landscape to follow their food or to stay warm or for different seasonal practices it varies and sometimes they're more sedentary and live long periods of time in the same place but go out and about into the surrounding landscape to hunt and gather food our um where we live in the ventura county was a chumash land and they were more sedentary uh, tribe where they would go out into the landscape and come back to um, uh, villages but the villages were also sporadic through the uh, the landscape as well so they could go to different places at different times of years so it's all very different depending on the tribe that you are 
um, associated with, and that's true the world over. That's not just Native American. That's um, I'm talking about all hunter-gatherer groups. So that includes Australia, South America, Africa. So just slap hunter-gatherer groups up on there. So yeah, but they do share a very interesting thing in common, which is they are all animists. Yay! So I'll get into that in just a minute. They all share this uh, sort of... Uh, anyway, we'll get into that in a minute. I've tried to keep my examples to North America and the Northwest Coastal Groups um, since the topic was Native American. Um, and where I can, like I said, I've named the specific tribal group. I will do my best to pronounce their name, but I apologize ahead of time. I am not great at any other tongue but English. Anyone who's heard this podcast before can testify to my terrible, terrible pronunciation skills, but I will uh, endeavor to do my best. I believe in you. Thank you. I have always found it really interesting that all all modern hunter-gatherer groups share this belief system in animals so and I mean all of them there is no example of any hunter-gatherer group who doesn't in some way believe in some form of animism so what is animism animism is a belief in the interchangeability between the spirits of people and of animals that there is no difference between the two we are the same as animals and they are the same as us essentially that means that the spirit of your self can be an animal and an animal can possess you as well so spirit the only thing different is the body the spirit is the same well yeah and in a lot of stories you could think that they're talking about a person and then suddenly you realize they're talking about this person as an animal and it it just flows so fluidly from animal to to man because yeah there, there really isn't much of a distinction no there shouldn't be a distinction no and for that reason, the folklore can actually be quite tricky because halfway through something, you'll realize that they're talking to a crow. <laughs> so um, obviously this comes with a lot of like respect and reverence for animals and a lot of fear because a wronged animal spirit can return and harm the living, mm-hmm. but equally a properly respected animal spirit can bestow blessings and good luck. And this is why you find that many, if not all, Native American tribes have rituals around hunting, killing, preparing, and disposing of animals. This belief in interchangeability and the similarity between people and animals is so strong, in particular with, uh, so strong that there's an example in the northwest of Canada, uh, this group called the Haida, who have a, a really unique relationship with fish, because if you think about they're off the northwest coast of Canada and they are in cold climate and they have a marine diet. Um, yeah. So specifically salmon. Salmon are actually believed to leave such similar lives to people that they live in houses with their families in the river. So that they believe that essentially they have parallel lives. It's just in the, in the river. Uh, the belief that humans and all other living creatures are the same just in different bodies has led to a lot of mythology and folklore about different types of spirits and stories about how things have come to be like creation myths but also cautionary tales alternative realities and predictions for the future all using animals as the like vessel for the storytelling yeah and animals will then represent different things so 
they might represent a founder god, ancestors, guardians, or any demigods, or they might just represent some kind of trickster or former person in an animal's body. But Mm -hmm. you, you find a lot of things around animals. So think about ravens, wolves, coyotes, and so on for different groups. You see the three wolves howling at the moon symbology well the wolves will represent something different to different tribal groups as will ravens as will coyotes and so on and this leads us on to totemism so often these groups will take on the symbol of certain animals as their totem so you've probably heard totem before totem poles and it's basically the adaption of sorry the yeah, the adaption of the animal as the emblem for your tribe, family, group, or even the activity. So you might have a yeah. totem for hunting, a totem for your family, a totem for rowing a boat. The Ottawa and Chippewa people have adopted the great black bear as their totem uh, because they are powerful and just, if you ever see a black bear, you'll know why you'd want that to be the symbol of your family yeah. or your tribe. And the Haida group that I mentioned before, they have two predominant ones. So there's a raven for one group and an eagle for another. And this is determined by your matrilineal line. And each group will uh, take part in different activities. And you can marry in and out of, so you can marry into the other family. In fact, it's if you're a raven, you have to marry into the eagle. And if you're an eagle, you have to marry into the raven because it stops them from having two smaller family groups. It's nice. But it is, it's determined by your matrilineal line, not your patrilineal line, girl power. Girl power. <laughs> <laughs> the raven in this case as well, the Haida, is a trickster god that's meant as a cautionary mythology and not one to aspire to. So he's a tricky god, um, spirit. I will tell you more stories about the raven, but that's definitely going into mythology. So maybe another time, but he's fun. I liked the Haida. I, I did a whole project on them. Nice. <laughs> so steering us away from myths and creation and bring us to the everyman. Well, I say everyman, but this is a very special person among people and someone archaeologists in particular are very, very interested in. And that is the person who can speak to these animal spirits, the shaman. Mm-hmm. Shamanism is this kind of default go-to for some archaeologists when explaining certain types of evidence but I'll explain. It totally makes sense when when I go into it. Now you probably already have an idea in your head of what a shaman is. It's like a, a man dressed in a costume of some kind, usually imitating some animal maybe a little bit off in the head, singing and dancing around, not really making much sense but people are interpreting his behaviours and making inferences This stereotype is actually derived from a couple places. Firstly, it was based on an anthropological description of a Siberian shaman from the Tongass group and has been used as a narrative or way to describe shamans or medicine men ever since. And there was a really famous Kawakutl medicine man who was photographed by anthropologists in the late 19th century that had a lot of ideas that a lot of the ideas are based off because he was photographed in his, um, his outfit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another Northwest coastal group, very, very close to the Haida in culture and off the same part of Canada. Um, I'll post some pictures if you guys are interested um, on the Instagram. So you guys can put these, these dudes into context. Anyway, um, Shamans do do these things and often do so in 
in altered states of consciousness, uh, they are looked to for guidance and they act as their tribe's doctor for body, mind and spirit. And they are very, very important people. They perform for the community and they often dance, play drums, sing and even speak in tongues or other languages not known to the people that they're performing okay. to. And performance is a huge part of shamanism. And the fact that many use some kind of substance to have a trip in order to do these performances is very, very important. Yeah. So basically they take drugs of varying types. Like you've probably heard of peyote being used by yeah, some. Yeah. But there are other plants and flowers that cause hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic reactions that are far, far more common. Um, and they do this in order to transcend into an altered state of consciousness in order to commune with the animal spirits. And then they come back with messages. Yeah. And anyone who's been on anything stronger than weed can testify to the crazy shit we come up with after visiting this alternative reality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway. Well, especially if you have, like, the intention of speaking to, you know, the, the great spirit or to to uh, just whatever's out there willing to speak to you, you you will see and encounter stuff. And that's that's awesome. Yes. You will see and encounter stuff, and they tend to be relatively universal in theme as well, which is why there are parallels between this shamanism and prehistoric cave art. So I'm about to blow your mind. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I did mention earlier that um, shamanism was kind of a go-to explanation for something that archaeologists are really interested in. When well something that archaeologists are really interested in is cave art yeah i'm not going to go into it right now about whether or not the term cave art is appropriate we're just going to call it cave art because most people listening are not interested in me talking about the pedantics of whether we should be calling it art or not but i'm basically talking about cave paintings are people now, like sitting there debating whether that could be considered art yes it is okay. a huge thing yes Oh, that sounds shitty. That sounds it's like a shitty not, argument. No, no, no. It's it's got some great. It, like, there's not just there's not like it's art or it's not. It's 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 a lot more nuanced than that. It's hmm. a <laughs> it's a whole class that we take. Nice. Which I'm taking this year, so it's like you know, is it art? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And no. <laughs> <laughs> um. But anyway, um, there are parallels between these things like shamanism and cave art because caves could represent some connection between the underworld and the land above so you're talking about like a a place between the underworld and the little land that we live on where the sun is and there are ethnographic i'm going to get into ethnography in a minute but there are there are people that live on this earth right now that talk of caves of places of transcendence and um you know somewhere sacred to go yeah and also shapes and forms that are painted often represent sorry often resemble things that you might hallucinate um so there are shapes like spirals and like curvy wiggly lines and weird fucked up animals and they're kind of in line with what you might see 
if you're tripping balls. Yeah. So it isn't so far fetched to think that ancient cave art was created by shamans just completely off their tits on whatever going into these trance states creating these awesome like paintings and then coming back and then being like right so what amazing thing did i come up with while i was fucked up (laughs) (laughs) and if anyone's ever read back anything they've written when they were really fucking high it doesn't make any sense (laughs) do you know how hard it is to draw when you're on mushrooms it is really difficult Well, mushrooms aren't one of the more common ones, but uh, there's more like stuff that kind of goes on the skin. And I can't remember what it's called, but it's like stuff that absorbs into your skin. uh, That gets, so you paint your body in this stuff and then it like absorbs in, and there's other things that you drink and stuff like that. But yeah, mushrooms, not so much. But if you did, if you were in a cave with like firelight and you were tripping balls on shrooms, you might be a little bit more creative with your shapes that you're painting on the walls that's true and i'd be using my whole body to paint instead of just trying to draw on a piece of paper it's really hard to draw on mushrooms just so you know (laughs) (laughs) but you are receiving messages from the cosmos and you must write them down (laughs) yeah i have to document this so this theory that cave art was created by shamans or at least in some kind of like ritual with shamans or drugs involved in some kind it's pretty strong um because it's not that far-fetched um we do do things like that but it's one of many many theories and we're not going to go into it right now but it's also particularly strong because it's based on ethnography because there are examples of modern hunter-gatherer tribes that do these sorts of things mm-hmm Now, if you're not familiar with what ethnography is, it's basically this anthropological method of going and watching and writing stuff down that what modern groups of people are doing right now and might explain what we were doing in the past. And I agree that observing groups today does inform us a lot about tools, techniques, community relationships, and so on, and is really, really... You know, you can get a lot of information from photography, but it's really, really problematic because it has this like Western superiority complex about it. Mm-hmm. And it assumes that hunter gatherers are living fossils, basically, and that yeah. they represent a simpler time of the past and that they haven't changed or adapted or even have any agency to make choices that our way is advanced and that their way is primitive and that's obviously really really fucked up so it's kind of disregarding yeah Yeah, disregarding their role in modern society yes yeah that as well yeah like just like oh this is this primitive way that we used to be like this and now we're more advanced civilization it's fucked up so i am very weary of using ethnographic parallels and i've made this very clear in my course as well that i i do see it as a two-sided coin and i'm not going to go about being an asshole you know so always acknowledge that that there's weaknesses to that particular idea anyway shamans are cool um they also do wear really fun outfits and they do actually mimic animals um usually the one they're trying to connect with so that we find um you know that they have particular dances for particular animals and they've got particular performances that they do for 
and they're really groovy and fun but most of the time horrible white people like us are not allowed to see them but sometimes they let us yeah sometimes they let us um we have some really interesting sort of uh, late 19th sorry yeah like 19th century early 20th century photography of um anthropologists and stuff like being around tribes and taking photos and stuff um but unfortunately like melanie said earlier this tends to happen like after they've been like moved and relocated and mm-hmm. it's you know and they're kind of adapting to western ways as well so they'll, you'll see like people in like western clothes looking at a shaman dancing about so yeah uh so there's a shame there so wait just real quick i kind of skimmed over the peyote bit but that's actually a really really great topic the peyote cult of mexico right oh yeah yeah quite recent and it doesn't fit with this subject but i think it'll be a really fun one for the future so rest assured listeners i did not miss the opportunity there uh peyote cult of mexico has gone on the list nice nice (laughs) or is going (laughs) to go on the list um moving on i'm almost done i'm almost done i think i did touch on the two things that i wanted to which is animism and shamanism so mainly i wanted to talk to make the point that animism is probably just as prevalent a religion as any other but it's largely unrecognized because of how disparate the groups are and how the practice varies from group to group oh and also racism but overall (laughs) the (laughs) overall the themes are the same uh, people and animals have the same kind of spirit and at any one time you could be a goat or a salmon or a person and that just like people animals want respect i feel like that should be a given as i'm a vegetarian and i believe something very similar but n- a little bit more scientific like mine has to do with consciousness and the ability to comprehend pain and suffer mentally as well as physically but anyway that's by the by i'm not going to give you my spiel but essentially i'm in line with animists i just don't believe in souls so to speak i believe in experience so anyway where was i going um yeah hunter gatherers have this very close interdependent relationship with the natural environment including animals themselves and from this a lot of folklore is based so now that i've given you a little bit of culture history (laughs) we can talk folklore I always think it's important to give a little context, like I said. So now you know the people that, uh, so now you know the sort of religious aspect of it, really, the belief systems that go yeah. into some of the mythology. It kind of gives people a little bit more of a foundation to understanding the stories. Also, fun fact, I think I remember reading that um, shamans a lot of the time also suffered extreme mental illness. Uh, oh yeah yeah so shamans a lot of times if if you were schizophrenic or had other um you know sort of extreme uh, sort of uh we call the mental illness but to them they were blessings that was like you were seeing and experiencing things that they couldn't comprehend so clearly you were being spoken to and i think that's so cool in a way but also it kind of redirects like it kind of distracts people from the fact that the person is mentally ill but that's by that's that's just a different culture doing dealing but, with their stuff in yeah, a different it's, way it's a totally different culture because yeah. they're they're being taken care of and as long as they're not hurting anybody they're they're just sort of an inspiration um and they're letting they're they're being able to exist in this in this way 
in its purest form. And I think that's pretty neat. They also had like 15 different genders and I'm all fucking about that. Yeah. Yeah. But we can, we can get into that on another day. Yeah. <laughs> shamans themselves are just like a massive thing. Cause like uh, shamans exist in probably every continent bar Antarctica and the Arctic, you know what I mean? So yeah, it, there's, American shamans, there's African shamans, and each region of Africa will have a different way of uh, representing that shamanism. There's Australian. Oh my gosh, Aborigine culture is so amazing. Their mythology and their their um oh, it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have shamans, and it's just all over the place, all over the place. <laughs> so that's why they think that. Uh, that's why people think that we, as British or European um, whiteies at some point had these animist belief systems because that's kind of what the art and the evidence kind of shows us is this relationship with animals but that's a whole whole other thing and people spend their whole careers talking about it (laughs) but I totally dig the idea that we had animist religion you know, oh, yeah. Totally dig it. Well, I mean, it's just, just that whole Earth-based... With, without technology, you're relying on what's around you. And without, you know, pre-written history and, and things like that, it was really just surviving with what was around you. And when you're encountering animals and plants, and that's that's just how you survive and how you live your life, then, yeah, you develop uh, relationships with them. Uh, so animism, I think, is just such a fundamental way of coping with the life yes i love it like my my daughter she's a cat 90 percent of the day (laughs) (laughs) it's always fucking meowing (laughs) tell us some stories let's get into some stories one that i read that i really loved and it does this one doesn't fall into the animus category the rest of them i do have uh animals in them but this one really made me happy is the tale of Chanamid from the Mohegan and Pico tribes in um, like North, North Dakota type zone. Uh, so Chanamid the glutton, he's pretty fucking cool. The Mohegan tribe is really neat. They are wolf. They are the wolf people. Cool. Yeah. So That's their totem. That is their totem. They are wolves. So Chanamid is also known as the glutton or great eater. Uh, Basically, so this, I I didn't write the story because honestly, these stories were not supposed to be written. They're supposed to be told. And that's what I'm telling myself as an excuse for not having written it down. Well done. That's good. Right? Because it's totally (laughs) legit. Right? I'm I'm doing this honestly, you guys. She's doing some proper oral tradition. Chanamid was a great giant who lived on an island. Uh, he was a gluttonous, womanizing, little dastardly, well, large dastardly man. One day, he's sitting on the shore of his island, and across the way, he sees a beautiful girl. And he calls out to her, and she doesn't respond. And he calls out to her again, and she doesn't respond. So eventually, he takes his boat, and he goes, hey, I want you. You're mine. So she eventually acquiesces and joins him, and he takes her in his boat back to his house on his little island. Now, Chanamid, he is privy to 
leaving for great chunks of time and not telling his woman why or where or what he's doing. She's kind of used, she, she just kind of lets it go for a long time, just like, all right, I guess this is what you're doing. I'll see you in a couple weeks, what have you. But eventually she gets pretty fucking fed up with it. So one day when he leaves for another great chunk of time, she decides to make little dolls and she hides them all around the house. When she realizes he's really not going to be back for a while, she decides, you know what, I'm done. I'm over it. She puts the dolls all over these little house, uh, all over the house, and she builds a bigger doll. She lays it in the bed where she would lay, and she puts tiny little pieces of dung on each doll. She lays down in the bed next to the larger doll, and she defecates all over the bed. Okay. I'm not sure why she does this, but she does. And she puts the blanket up over the larger doll. She, oh, I forgot part of the story. When when he he wooed her or basically told her that she's coming with him, she was like, all right, but I must have a mortal, a, pe- a mortar, a pestle, and some eggs. So she comes to his island and she lives in his house with him uh, with her mortal, her, her pestle, and her eggs. So when she decides to leave, she takes with her her mortar, her pestle, and her eggs. Now he has two canoes, one he's taken to leave and one he's left with her. So she gets into her canoe. And she has her mortar and pestle and eggs, and she starts to row away. As she's rowing away, Chanamid comes back, and he walks into that house, and he calls for his woman, but she's not there. And he sees, he looks around, and he sees a doll. He's like, what the hell? And he turns around, and as soon as he's back to that doll, she starts screaming, that little doll, screaming its head off. And he turns around, like, what the hell? But there was a doll behind him, and as soon as his back's to that doll, she starts screaming. So every doll, this house with about a dozen dolls in it, every time his back is to that doll, they just start screaming, which is pretty terrifying. Mm-mm. So he runs into the bedroom like, what the hell? Pulls back the blanket, and there's this giant doll with poop next to it. And he goes, okay, obviously she left because she took her mortar, her pestle, and her eggs, and there's a giant poop-covered doll in the bed. And so he throws the blanket on her, and as she... Giant huh? poop-covered doll. Yeah, I, I don't I, I don't know why with the poop. Maybe that's what's making them scream. I mean, it's probably lost in translation, but I maybe defecation is like a taboo. Yeah, it's possible. I, I think that was the means in which to get the dolls to scream. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what what did it? Uh, because she had in, in some of the to- in some of the stories she built the dolls while he was away. In some of the stories she had been building the doll for the dolls for like weeks and just hiding them so that he wouldn't see them, mm. just in case this was her like this was her escape plan was to leave screaming dolls. Okay. But when she when she put the dung on them they were sort of activated. Okay. So as he turns away from the large doll in the bed she screams the loudest of all and he books it out of the house. He gets into his canoe and he can see his woman paddling away and he's chasing after her and he's about to catch up and she turns around and she throws her mortar into the water and suddenly there's this huge barrier full just made of hundreds of mortars and he can't row his boat over it so he climbs up and he drags his canoe over all this mountain of mortars and then he continues chasing her 
and he continues to chase and he's gaining and she turns around she sees that he's almost caught up and she throws her pestle into the water and suddenly it sprouts a mountain of pestles and he can't cross it so again he gets out he drags his canoe over this great mound of pestles and continues chasing and then what he's starting to catch up he's about to get her and she turns around and she throws her like three or four eggs all the eggs that she's got she throws into the water and there is an even larger mound of eggs that he cannot cross so again gets up drags his canoe and it takes longer this time because there's way more eggs he continues pursuing and just as he's about to catch up for the fourth time yes she sees him she pulls a piece of hair out of her head she pulls it along her fingers and it strengthens like a javelin and she takes it and she throws it and it hits him right in the head and he dies and she has escaped and she is mohegan that is the tale blimey i like that no fury (laughs) yeah yeah i love that there's no there's no need for an explanation as to why her throwing the things into the water make them multiply with such to such a degree or why she can turn her hair into a javelin or why the poop makes the dolls scream but it makes for a really great story and i do love that one so were they dots or were they just people um they were just people chanamid i believe was like uh was like a giant but no story really says he was just larger and and was the great eater the great glutton i wonder if it's a part of a series of stories that taken out of context is just a really fun story but actually is part of a big mythology it's you know, very like possible, Persephone. but I couldn't, I couldn't find it. I couldn't even find the woman's name. Yeah, probably for Just, a reason. Yeah, all it says at the end of the story, it said she and she was she, eh, and she was Mohegan. And she's badass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boom, mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> you don't fuck with the Mohegan. It was, it was. I love that story. I thought that was really neat. Um, the Mohegan also have the Makaiwisug, or the little people. So the rocks of Mohegan Hill are the home to the Makaiwisug. And again, I'm so sorry. I know I'm not pronouncing that right. Makaiwisug? Um, After nightfall, the call of the whippoorwill signals their arrival. There are good, they are good spirits, but the Mohegans know they must be treated with respect, according to, to tradition. It is important to leave baskets of food, such as corn cakes and berries, or even meat in the woods for them. Wearing moccasin flowers for shoes, they gather the gifts at night. In fact, Makiawasug means whippoorwill moccasins. They have their own rules for etiquette. Those who see the little people should not look directly at them. They think it's rude. If they catch you staring, they might point a finger at you, rooting you to the ground while they take your belongings. Another rule is don't speak to them in the summer when they are most active. But in return for kindness, they're taught, they taught the Mohegan people how to grow corn, news healing plants. They keep the earth well and grant favors to those who honor their ways. When the English settlers came and disrupted the traditional ways of Mohegan life, many forgot to help the Mohegan As a result, many Mohegans and Mohegan fell ill. At this time of bad spirits, there lived a medicine woman. One night during a terrible storm, she heard the whippoorwill. And when she looked outside, the bird wasn't to be found, but a small boy in the rain on her doorstep. It turned out he was a grown Mikiwasug named Wigun, or Wigan, Wigun, who told her to come help someone who was sick. Though the storm was fierce, he led her through the woods a long way. 
Suddenly the storm seemed to stop as they began to descend into the ground. They were in the realm of the little people. Wigan led her to a beehive-shaped chamber of rocks. Inside, a very old woman lay in bed very ill. The Makiwasug told the medicine woman that this was Granny Squanet, and she must be made well. Granny Squanet is very powerful, she is, and she is known to cause storms when she argues with her husband. Her illness was the reason for the storm. Worse, healers even looked, often look to Granny Squanet when they need help in healing, and here she was the one who was sick. The medicine woman treated Granny Squanet for nearly a moon before she got better. In return for restoring Granny Squanet's health, the Makiawasug gave the medicine woman a basket of gifts and told her to remember them. She was blindfolded and taken back home. Only when she returned did she open the basket. Inside were quartz crystals, painted skins, and bunches of herbs. I like that one, too. Oh. And the basket itself would have been cool, too, because baskets are a huge part of um, Native American culture practices. But Heck again. Yeah for another day but baskets were like are this shit and they're really good at it they're basket, really good at it basket weaving and stuff a well-crafted but, basket really I'm, makes I'm it sleepy up. now because like the wind is blowing and it's like i've got my jumper on and melanie's telling stories so i've just got my head in my hand and i'm like listening like a little kid <laughs> like <laughs> more stories please <laughs> So, um, one of the more popular ones is Iktomi. Many people can recognize that name. That is the spider trickster god of the Lakota Sioux. Well, technically, all three of the Sioux tribes. You have the Lakota, Dakota, and Nakota. Most of the stories you'll hear are from the Lakota Sioux. They, I think it's because they tend to give their stories a little bit more freely than mm-hmm. many other tribes. Some believe that uh, Iktomi was one of the sons of Inyan, who was uh, the god of rock. I have a whole little thing about sort of the the origins of sto- uh, of the earth in Lakota Sioux mythology. It's pretty it's pretty neat. It's it's very very much like Greek mythology. It's like there was nothing, and then he created something, and then he created some people, and then he mated with the people that he created, and created a bunch of more stuff. So Iktomi was believed to be the son of the god of rock, Inyan, and was actually born with the name Ksa. He was supposed to be a god of wisdom. But because he was a mischievous little bugger, he was demoted to trickster spirit. One story describes his meeting with the rabbit. And this one's a really sweet one. I like this one a lot. Now, Iktomi is incredibly vain. He is the vainest of, of spirits and critters and creatures. So Iktomi went to the pond one day. He saw his own reflection in the water and sat there for hours admiring himself. You know, like you do. He thought to himself, how very handsome I am, and he couldn't stop looking. Infatuated, Iktomi decided to go to the same pond the next day and admire his beauty. But this time, something was different. When he gazed into the water and saw his reflection, he was not so handsome anymore. Iktomi saw a distorted face, and this upset him. He closed and opened his eyes several times, hoping the ugly image in the water would vanish. He desperately wanted to gaze at his beautiful face once again, but it was the same, all distorted. Frustrated, Iktomi left the place. He decided to look for food and get a new perspective. And then it started to rain heavily, and Iktomi hurried back to his den. On his way back, he stopped once again at the pond and looked once again at his reflection. So Iktomi knelt at the water's edge to see if his reflection was there, and what he saw was a dark, indistinguishable shadow peeking back at him. The shadow had no eyes, no nose, and no mouth. It was only a dark blob. 
The little frightened Iktomi jumped away and hurried back to his den to get out of the rain, all the while wondering whose reflection he had seen, for it certainly was not his beautiful face. Iktomi woke the next afternoon. He was hungry again, but also angry. He was certain that the pond was playing tricks on him. As he paced inside a thicket, Rabbit, Rabbit happened by and cautiously greeted the trickster. It was a fortunate meeting since Iktomi wanted to talk about to someone about the pond. He summed up his not-so-satisfactory encounters with the pond. I would like to speak to that pond's manager. This is bullshit. <laughs> Complaining that it was showing him reflections that were not real. Rabbit pondered Iktomi's story for a moment and came to a conclusion. He revealed to Iktomi that all of the reflections were indeed his, but each appeared different and even strange because of the sun, the wind, and the rain. This, of course, did nothing to cheer Iktomi up. Which of those reflections was he to believe if they were all him? He asked Rabbit. And Rabbit's response was simple and truthful. There was no choice but to believe them all, no matter how good or bad or strange they appeared to be. And then Rabbit offered one final bit of advice. If you do not know who you are, then it does not matter what you believe. Oh, man. That's such a good story. Right? <laughs> I like proper teared up. <laughs> If you don't know who you are, it doesn't matter what you believe. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's some that's some intense morality right there. <laughs> it is a cautionary tale. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> wow. That's deep. Well, and that's that's the thing with Iktomi. I mean, he's he's definitely a trickster trickster spirit. Any and not all of his stories are half as sweet as that one. I imagine not. <laughs> no. But I love that. And and not not all tribes believe that he was the god of wisdom that was demoted to trickster spirit. It is one of my favorites because it implies that wisdom comes from learning through shitty human behavior. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I love that that sort of di- that that dynamic that relationship between wisdom and just mischievous little shit. Yeah, I love how there are quite a lot of cre- creation myths where the creator god is a trickster, like yeah. who created the world as a joke. Well, and a or lot of just to kind of see what would happen. <laughs> well, and a lot of tribes really revere a trickster because again, there's a lot to learn from yeah. them. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, and, and even in African tribes as well. I mean, you have, uh, uh, mm, why am I forgetting their spider god? Oh, shit. Anansi. Mm-hmm. Anansi is one of the most, one of the most well-documented uh, African stories uh, are, are the stories about Anansi because you learn a lot from them. He's fun. He's entertaining. And uh, he's also a bastard, but the, the, the cautionary tales, the allegories from there are just powerful and important. Yeah. <laughs> I know that the Haida, their raven god, um, pulled the land out of the water, like, with his beak. And yeah. it was just sort of see what it was. And it was not really meant to be anything or something. I can't remember it, like, in detail, but I know that um the raven pulled the earth like the 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 land out of the sea and that's how they came about and there's really fun ones but yeah he's a he's a trickster god um 
always pulling tricks on people but that's the whole point trickster gods you can learn a lot from because they'll do something so that you don't have to (laughs) so yeah exactly they, they fuck up so you don't have to learn from their mistakes exactly i like gods that are fallible absolutely that's more fun than what is it omnipotence and infallibility that's bullshit Yeah. Give me a fucked up, like, um, fallible person or god any day. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why I love um, uh, Norse mythology as well. I mean, those gods, oh, yeah. they're yeah. fucking up left and right. They're hilarious. I mean, yeah. Jesus. Ah, not Jesus. Not Jesus. <laughs> now, I know that I said I wanted to kind of stray away from mythology, but I did want to do... If you were interested, if we have enough time, how much time do we have? Oh, of course, I keep running over. <laughs> um, but the the creation myth of the Iroquois, I thought it was a really fun one. Does it have animals in it? It does. Okay. It's like almost nothing but animals. Awesome, because then the animism bit would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I've just remembered that we talked a little bit about... Um, I don't remember what tribe it was, but there was we talked about omens in the omens episode, and we talked about the owl, and oh, yeah. there was the story that you told. So we have told um, an animist myth before. Yeah, we've we've mentioned a couple animist myths before. Yeah, they're they're just they're just some of my favorite ones. And they're easily animated. This is very true. Oh God, that's <laughs> such a horrible. Actually, no, I take that back. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, people. That's really disrespectful. Here, let me take your culture and make it into like a cutesy cartoon. That's well, not that's what I meant. Like... I immediately respond with a sorry. Yeah, yeah. But that's why like Aesop's fables are so uh, effective. Yes. You know, they're they're animals and they're they're stories that you're learning from. Yes. And so real quick, let me just give you the Iroquois creation myth, which I thought was fun. Um, and again, this this is a story that's supposed to be told, not written. So a few of the different accounts are different. Um, so I'll I'll do my best with what I with what I was given. And I'll try not to fall asleep because it's like having bedtime stories. Yay! <laughs> so the first In a good people. Way. Sorry. <laughs> the first people lived beyond the sky because there was no earth beneath. The chief's daughter became ill, and no cure could be found. A wise old man told them to dig up a tree and lay the girl beside the hole. People began to dig, but as they did, the tree fell right through the hole, dragging the girl with it. Now, in another story, a version of this, I heard that the first people lived in the sky, and they had one tree from which the sun came out, from which light grew, grew, and the people who lived there could not die. They were not born They just existed and were never hungry. But then one day a woman became pregnant with twins and the husband could not understand. And she was, he was furious. So he went to the single tree where the light shone from and uh, dug a hole and uh, dug a hole in the tree so that you could see the ground, the ocean beneath and pushed his pregnant woman down and she fell. Regardless, whether it was a pregnant woman with twins or the daughter of the chief, Below lay an endless sheet of water where two swans floated. As the swans looked up, they saw the sky break and a strange tree fall down into the water. 
When they saw the girl fall after it, they swam to her and supported her because she was too beautiful to allow to drown. Then they swam to the great turtle, master of all the animals, who at once called a council. When all the animals had arrived, the great turtle told them that the appearance of a woman from the sky was a sign of good fortune. Since the tree had earth in its roots, he asked them to find where it had sunk and bring up some of the earth to put on his back, to make an island for the woman to live on. The swans led the animals to the place where the tree had fallen. First otter, then muskrat, then beaver dived. Each one as they came up from the great depths had rolled over exhausted and died. Many other animals tried, but they experienced the same fate. At last, the old lady toad volunteered. She was under so long that the others thought that she had been lost, but at last she came to the surface and before dying managed to spit out a mouthful of dirt on the back of the great turtle. It was a magical earth and had the power of growth. As soon as it was as big as an island, the woman began to set down on it. The two white swans circled it while it continued to grow until at last it became the world island as it is today, supported in the great waters on the back of the turtle. The Iroquois people, Iroquois people held a great respect for all animals, and this is mirrored in their creation myth by the role of, that the animals play. And without the animals' help, the Sky Woman may have sunk to the bottom, and the Earth may not have been created. Why did they all die? Well, it was really deep. Deep water. <laughs> Sad all the animals died. But yes. they had a happy ending, I guess. It had not been ending. And, everything. and in the story where she was pregnant, she gave birth to she gave birth to concepts the way that other gods and other mythologies did. Oh right, like like Greek mythology then. Yeah. yeah. Cool. The Sky Woman gave birth to twin sons. She named one Sapling, and he grew to be kind and gentle. She named the other Flint, and his heart was as cold as his name. They grew quickly and began filling the earth with their creations. Sapling created what is good. He made animals that are useful to humans. He made rivers that went two ways, and into these he put fish without bones. He made plants that people could eat easily. If he was able to do all the work himself, there would be no suffering. But Flint, Flint destroyed much of Sapling's work and created all that is bad. He gave the rivers only to flow in one direction. He put bones in fish and thorns on berry bushes. He created winter, but Sapling gave it life so that it could move away to spring. He created monsters which his brother drove beneath the earth. Eventually, Sapling and Flint decided to fight till one conquered the other. Neither was able to win at first, but finally Flint was beaten. Because he was a god, Flint could not die, so he was forced to live on Big Turtle's back. Occasionally, his anger is felt in the form of a volcano. Ooh, cool. Right? Oh, 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 there was one more thing. Yes, this I really wanted to bring up because I thought this would be interesting to you specifically as an archaeologist. Archaeological dig. Uh, a fan of archaeology. <laughs> you could say that. Just a little bit. So the Lovelock Cave Discovery. Is this a, the mummy? Yes. Okay. Do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I, admittedly, I don't know how much is true, how much is fiction, but I still thought it was really cool because it lined it lined up with the mythology. It, yeah. it lined up with the folklore. Yeah. Right? So the Cite Ka. The Cite Ka, or sometimes Saiduka, are a fabled race of belligerent red-haired giants from the Paiute native uh, uh, legends, which are around Nevada, I believe. 
Um, they were said to be the mortal enemies of the tribes uh, in the in the area. They were huge, red-haired, like ten to fifteen feet tall, and it was said that the the Paiute actually killed them all, driving them into a cave and setting them on fire, uh, like the the other tribe I may have mentioned in a <clears throat> previous episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it was it was really just sort of a a myth for the longest time, just these giants with just giant cannibalistic beasts. And um, I guess in 1911, they found what they believed to be, uh, they believed to be like six to 10 feet tall. And they found these mummies and they also found bones with the marrow sucked out that seemed to be similar to those of the beast that they, they had found mummies of. Yes. (laughs) Do you know, do you know, do you know much about them? Um, no, I just know that there was a mummy. Yeah, I, have... I was mixing it up with something else anyway. I was thinking about the San Pedro Mountains mummies. No, so the Citeca are are pretty cool, and the whole reason, <laughs> honestly, this this is this is a lot about me. The whole reason that I, I even clicked on this link is I saw a small picture of a well formed ass, and it's an illustration of what the Citeca was supposed to look like, and it was kind of hot, kind of. I like giants. <laughs> giants are hot. Giants with their giant asses. Yeah. Did me good. I'm excited. Um, so in 1911, miners began excavating the rich guano deposits in Lovelock Cave, just 22 miles south of Lovelock, Nevada. After removing several carloads of bat dung, they had come up uh, upon some Native American relics, and soon after, a six-and-a-half-foot-tall mummy with red hair. Believing the mummy to be authentic, he spent. Uh, John T. Reed spent his life trying to prove it. So it's it's still a whole lot of like we don't know how authentic it is, um, particularly because with with hair color, so many different things can affect it. It may have been brown and turned red in the mm-hmm. the process of the couple hundred years or what have you, but the fact that it had red hair and the tribe of the area had a mythology about a giant with red hair seemed to just kind of be too uh, syncopatic? No. Coincidental? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Serendipitous. Yes. Um, People have found several leg bones, and judging by the size of them, people deduced that they were six to ten feet tall. However, scientists thought that they could only be five foot eleven. (laughs) Nice. Uh, you still see some bones, a skull, and some artifacts at the Humboldt Museum in Nevada. Um, unlike many cryptids today, these were about as close as you could get to Sasqu- Sasquatch. So this is one of the many uh, uh, tribal sort of Native American versions of Sasquatch that are kind of in their mythologies. Mm-hmm. There's there's a few others. I know that Danielle's got one. Yeah, but we're going to have to save that for the Bigfoot episode because we're... We, we've we've plumped this one full. Fair enough, but yeah, I I still I still I would like to see it. I want to see that guy. Plus that picture's hot. <laughs> Send me that picture or put it I on will. the social feeds. I will. It's got a really nice ass. He's really nice. beefy. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you look it up, if you look if you look you know Google search on it, you see this this giant skull and it just, it doesn't look like it was ever real. So I'm kind of, you know, bummed, but I want to believe, I want to believe. I'm not saying anything. 
Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> but you know what I think. <laughs> I know. I know. But it's fun, anyway. Shall we, uh... Wrap this up? Wrap this up. Yeah, let's wrap yeah. this up. We're wrapping it up because we've we've come to the end and Melanie's told me three stories and now I'm sleepy. So <laughs> I need to have some kind of nap or something. I don't know. But do you, you think you could do the social media in a very quick pace manner that might wake me up? All right, everybody. If you liked the stories that we were telling, and again, I super apologize if we were in any way offensive. This was not our intention. So if you want to tell us off, if you have any ideas, if you are interested in hearing episodes specific about specifically to tribes, to any of the concepts that we mentioned uh, before or within this episode, please let us know on our Facebook or Instagram or our Twitter, Zombie Fishbowl or Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. We are easy enough to find. You can also send us topics of your own device to our emails at zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com we'd super appreciate it also we are on, on almost every sort of podcast streaming service so please leave us stars reviews tell your friends tell your family and uh listen to us <laughs> and, and tell us that you're listening tell us that you're listening we just want to know <laughs> Please. Yes. Right. Okay. So now it's my turn to choose the topic for a fortnight's time. Mm-hmm. I'll do a song. Random topic picker, random topic picker. You're a random topic picker and you're gonna pick a topic. That was shit. Wow. Anyway. You are sleepy. I am. I had absolutely <laughs> no enthusiasm whatsoever. But our next topic is a doozy. Ooh. It's so good because it's completely different to what we've been doing. Outer body experiences. Oh, okay, cool. Nice. We get some science in there, some magic in there. Definitely. Nice. Oh, I'm excited. It's it's nice when randomness is actually random and it's not like we just got like cryptids or something that's like relatively close to what we've just been talking about. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Out of body experiences. We're going straight to pseudoscience and bullshit like that. (laughs) Not like you have an opinion on it or anything. Oh man. Outer body experiences are something that I, um, have a very contrary opinion to. <laughs> and I have. I, I mean, I think it's a real with, so. thing. Sorry. And I have an experience with. So. I know. I know it's a real thing, but I can explain it rather boringly. Nice. So. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for you to ruin everything that I believe in. Yeah. Yeah. This is gonna be fun. <laughs> Okay, I promise not to be too mean. You can be as mean as you want. Do it. It's not really mean. I'm just going to say what it is. Like, that it's been proven to be many, many times by many people that are experts in brains. Nice. So. (laughs) No, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun one. Oh, also, if you have any suggestions for a mini-sode that you would like to hear between now and then, please let me know on, again, our social medias that I have mentioned before. Because I, I'm just trying to fill time, you guys. Just trying to give you guys something every week. So let me know. Yes, and um, 
there might be something coming up with you and your sister? Oh, yeah. By the time this comes out, hopefully that will have already come out. So Cool. Yeah, I'll try and have that edited by the end of the night. It's like 20 minutes. It's going to be, it's super short. It's not a lot of work. So you guys have that to look forward to in the past. (laughs) In the past, future, present. In the past, you will have been looking forward to it and then got it. And now in the future, you'll have had it and been satisfied by it. But now I'm telling you, you're also looking forward to it. Yeah. If that I hope sense. you enjoyed it, and I hope you will enjoy it. At the yeah. <laughs> awesome. Right, okay. So Do you leave, have a quote? Yeah, to leave us on a quote, it was a little hard to pick just one. I found three that I really liked, and uh, I may just read you all three because they're very short. Go for it. Humankind has not woven the web of life. We are but one thread within it. Whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. All things are bound together. All things connect. By Chief Seattle of the Duwamish people. I like that. Yeah. It has a very poignant message for today. And yeah. The times. Yeah. And then there's a Navajo saying that says, you can't wake a person who is pretending to sleep. Ah, I like that. <laughs> and then, ah! <laughs> and finally, I thought this one was uh, uh, kind of brutal, so I liked it. How smooth must be the language of the whites when they can make right look like wrong and wrong look like right? Mm. By Black Hawk of the Sock people. Particular talent. Yeah, yeah, we're good at it. We're shitty gonna be quite shitty yeah i'm sorry yeah let me end you on a downer there (laughs) let's go back to that one where it was you if you do not know who you are then it does not matter what you believe yeah that's also good yeah (laughs) i'm glad you liked that one i i i I thought it was uh, i thought it was beautiful Oh, I was well looking forward to you telling me some stories and now I'm going to go suck my thumb and cuddle a teddy bear and go to sleep for 20 minutes because I feel very much lulled. Oh, good. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a lot of people relieved that I ended the sentence with suck my thumb. Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) So that's it for this week. We hope that you enjoyed it. Thank you guys for supporting us and listening to us and being awesome. We do love you. Um, have a wonderful couple weeks and we will talk soon. Bye. Yep. Bye bye guys. I love you. <laughs>